and only the truth be spoken, and only the truth be heard. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Peter, Peter, Peter. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Peter and Jesus are both on a journey. Two protagonists moving through three dramatic, sequential, and connected scenes of which this morning's reading is a part. These scenes are Peter's confession of Jesus as Messiah, this morning's passion prediction where Peter and Jesus rebuke one another, and the transfiguration, at the end of which Jesus in his stunning radiance has been through the delicate wash cycle of eternity, his garments gleaming white, and Peter has been through the tumble dry cycle of experience, and he simply can't keep up. Jesus is Jesus, and even as he predicts his passion, he grows and grows in magnification and in glorification. Peter is Peter, and, well, all of us. Sometimes he gets it really right, sometimes he gets it really wrong, and sometimes he just doesn't get it at all. I gave an Advent forum on March in December, and one of the things I talked about was how Mark's gospel is really a work of the oral tradition, meant to be read aloud in its entirety as an aural, A-U-R-A-L, as a hearing, an aural fabric, and at its core was never written as the structured literature that the other gospels represent. This means that when we pluck a small thread from the fabric with a few sentences for a reading from Mark, something can be lost. And with today's gospel, what comes just before and just after are immensely important. It's like only reading one line of a fairy tale, like carrying a basket, Little Red Riding Hood went to see her grandmother, or one little pig built a house out of sticks and stopping the stories there before any wolves show up and the stories become more involved. This effect is especially true as we move from the seasons of Epiphany to Lent, the passages of searches to make Epiphany or Lenten messages are out of order with the overall flow of Mark's story. For instance, two weeks ago, at the end of Epiphany, we heard Mark's description of the Transfiguration, but today's reading comes just before the Transfiguration in Mark's Gospel, so we're already out of order. If we step back and imagine ourselves in an early Christian household church, listening to the entire Gospel of Mark being read aloud, our experience of this passage and its context of what comes before and after would have been, and I'll paraphrase it, Jesus wants to know what people think of him. Who do they say that he is? Peter answers, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. That's what they say. Jesus responds, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus says, well done, Peter. You're the rock upon which I will build my church. 
Now, don't tell this Messiah thing to anyone. And then Jesus drills down on this point of his identity. Let me tell you what that Messiah thing means. It means I will be rejected, arrested, humiliated, tortured, and murdered, and rise again in three days. That's what that means. And then Peter says something like, No, not that. You can't say that. And Jesus scolds him, rebukes him, and says, Get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And Jesus calls the crowd and the disciples to him and describes what it really means to take up the cross, the risk, and the reward. And then six days after that, Peter, James, John, and Jesus go to a mountain, and Jesus ascends, and Moses and Elijah stand beside Jesus, talking with him, and Jesus shines. Then comes an overshadowing cloud. Peter, frightened, says, Let's build booths for these guys. And then the voice of God proclaims that this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. In the story I just told, Jesus begins a trajectory of destiny from chatting with the band of disciples to encountering his dreadful future and then encountering the meaning of his future, standing with the patriarchs and the prophets, with Moses and Elijah, with God proclaiming His holiness. Our gospel reading for today is a bridge between these two moments in Mark's story. Who do you think I am? And God answers the question and says just who Jesus is. Jesus hears Peter's words of rebuke as those that Satan said to him when he tempted him in the wilderness. Care about your wealth your safety, your power, your fear, your inadequacy, your vulnerability, all these things that haunt you. Think about them first, and then maybe all this inconvenient God stuff will go away. Now, the words of Jesus' rebuke of Peter would have been heard in two ways in the ancient world. First, Peter you are my student. Get in line and follow me, your teacher. The second way that it would have been heard is as a military command to fall into line behind the leader for a great conflict is coming and we must all stand together or the evil one will prevail. In either case, Jesus is sort of pulling rank, which speaks to the excruciating experience of confronting Jesus' coming passion. The rebuke is pastoral and helps Peter to manage his fear and his loss of hearing this news. There's also almost an element of familiar in movie scenes where someone's become hysterical and someone slaps his face, shouting, Snap out of it, man! And Peter well may have been starting to understand the consequences of all this for himself. Perceiving what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, himself martyred by the Nazis, summarized as, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Today we hear this more as striving to be dead to stand and alive to Christ. But for Dietrich and for Peter, it had a more somber ring of destiny. 
to this point, Jesus gathers the people and the disciples and explains what their and our discipleship means to carry the cross, to risk our lives. It's unfortunate that in Jesus' words, the language of shame is intersected with the language of suffering. It's a very harsh statement of, if you are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you, and by the way, I'll have my posse of angels with me. It's crucial for Jesus to say that, but it's hard to hear. As for Peter, there's an instinct when encountering someone in a difficult or hopeless situation to just say, oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay. But that's often not helpful. It's better to accompany someone in their fear and their darkness. And in this case, Peter doesn't really help Jesus. Jesus rebuked carries the message of, no, Peter, it's not going to be okay. It's going to be really bad. But after all that, it will be a lot more okay. It might have been better for Peter to have said, you must be very frightened. We are too. You are very brave to face this. And we are here for you. Peter moved from truly understanding and declaring Jesus' presence in me, anticipating God's preparation of the same, to trying to hold Jesus back from his destiny, being flabbergasted by the transfiguration vision, coming up with the solution that booths should be built, which, while well, it does hearten back to Israelites building booths wandering in the world's wilderness, it is still so somehow in this place. These guys don't need booths. They are pointing to the fulfillment of God's plan for creation. The scholar Joel Marcus feels that the moment of the transfiguration both anticipates and defeats the moment of the crucifixion, where Jesus is raised up between two thieves, but is here raised up to God between Moses and Elijah. In other words, Peter is in the midst of a cosmic point in history, and it is beyond his comprehension. He is only a human confronting the divine. So the things we learn from our gospel reading are that we grow in our experience of Jesus. We step forward and follow. We will occasionally stumble. We will occasionally struggle against the path. We may be overcome and unable to perceive the miracles of God's love and God's plan for us. There is a Peter within us all, sometimes holding us back from our true selves, our true destiny, yet capable of growth, allowing us to discover our eternal glorification. We also learn that the real statement, the real Lenten message, is that the choice is to be as close to God, as open to God, and as sharing with God as we can be, and to embrace true life in the heart of God, and to overcome those things that separate us from one another and from the joy and the love of God. The worldly cost of this can be great, the eternal result immense.
in closing, the sequence of this story is the church's foundation and formation and mission in a nutshell. It is the beginning of the handover of the new church from Jesus to Peter and the disciples. Peter's confession of Jesus as the Messiah is our confession of Jesus as the Messiah. Peter is the rock, and we are the rock on which the church is built. Our church, which leads to the declaration, perpetuation, amplification, and glorification of the church. Our strength is our ecclesia, our community, our together in Christ. We may fall into disorder and error, yet Jesus and the community calls us, rebukes us back to the mission of the church, and we must, as God commands, listen to Him. And even as we beautifully sing and solemnly say God's praise, let us also hear the voice of Jesus in the troubled murmuring of the sick and the dying, the sorrowed choirs of the poor, and the swelled theopathons of hunger, displacement, and despair, and listen to him, get behind him, and follow him where he leads. And I bid that we find the path to love, to being loving and grateful with ourselves, with one another, and with God. And that, my friends, is love.